There are four, literally, fathers of damages. Meaning there are four categories of damages for which one is responsible to pay. And there is an argument in the Gemara as to what exactly the explanation, what is the definition of each of the four which the Mishnah is going to mention. We're going to explain it in one way, and that is that Hashur. Shur in this Mishnah does not refer to the Shur we discussed, but it refers to a particular subcategory of Shur, and that is Regel, damage done by one's animal walking. Next, the Habor, damage done by one's pit, the Hamav'eh. This refers to damages of Shane. Shane is the second subcategory of Shur. Damage done by one's animal eating, or gaining from that, gain benefit from the damage. And fourthly, the Hahev'er, that refers to Aish. Damage done by burning. And again, we said that anything which uses another force is included in that. For example, if somebody places a stone in a windy area, and the wind ends up carrying that stone and causing damage to someone, that would also come under the category of Aish. Although the stone is doing the damage, it uses a different force, namely the wind, in order to do the damage. So really what the Mishnah has mentioned is Shur, Bur, and Aish. It just split Shur into two, and it didn't mention the third subcategory of Shur. It didn't mention Keren. And we'll see at the end of this Mishnah there is another statement which the Gemara explains comes to include Keren as well. Now the Mishnah has a question. Why did the Torah have to write all of these different examples and scenarios? Just say that if somebody caused damage by lighting a fire, he is liable to pay for the damages, and I should be able to learn from there that also if my animal does damage, I'm also liable to pay. Why does the Torah have to go through all of these examples? Another question which needs to be asked is, if the Torah is going through lots of these examples, how do I know that if I do something else which isn't mentioned in the Torah, that I'm liable to pay? If I place a big stone in a public area, so that's not actually a pit, the Torah talked about digging a pit. I didn't dig a pit, I placed a stone into a public area. So where do I learn from in the Torah that I'm liable to pay for that? So the second half of our mission is going to answer those two questions. The characteristics of damages of Shur are not like the characteristics of Mave. So again, Shur refers to Regel, Mave refers to Shane. Meaning, had the Torah written only Regel, damage done by the animal walking, I wouldn't have been able to learn from there that if my animal eats something and benefits from there, that I'm liable to pay for that as well. And the mission doesn't explain why, but it's coming to answer the question that you couldn't have just written Regel, for example, and learn everything else from there, because there is a specific stringency in Regel. There's a particular reason why I would think, perhaps, that specifically damages of Regel I'm liable to pay for, but damages of Shane I wouldn't be liable to pay for. And the Gemara explains that is because damages of Regel are far more common. Just by the animal walking, it does damage. So I would have thought for that, I'm considered responsible. But for my animal to go and eat somebody else's property, possessions, for that I would think perhaps I'm not liable. And therefore the Torah had to write Shane as well. On the other hand, the characteristics of Shane are not like, not like the characteristics of Regel. I couldn't have just written Shane and learned Regel from there because I would have said that I'm liable to pay for damages which the animal gained from. If I got a gain from the damage which I did, then the Torah obligates me to pay. But if I didn't gain anything, then I would think that I'm not obligated to pay you. 
All right, so then why don't we just write these two and we'll learn everything else from here? Says the Mishnah, Veloise Vozer, the characteristics of Regal and Shane, which are shared between them, they can't teach to everywhere else. Why? Because they have a spirit of life inside of them. They're animals, they're alive. And when they do damage, they are doing a real action of damage, and because I own them, I should be responsible. Like the characteristics of fire, which hasn't got life in fire. So since fire hasn't got a life, it's not really considered to be doing an action of doing damage. And the fire has no mind at all. So I might have thought that specifically for damages done by one's animal, for that I'm liable to pay. But it was done by my fire, so there's no real action of damage done. There was no act of damage. Damage happened because of me, but there was no act of damage, and therefore I might think that I'm not liable. And therefore the Torah had to write Aish as well. Now there's only one left, Burr. Why couldn't we learn Burr from the rest of them? The characteristics of all of the ones which we have mentioned so far cannot teach to Burr. Why? Because it is their way to go and do damage. Meaning when they do damage, they do dam- damage via an action. They're actually doing an act. Even fire, it's moving and coming towards the object which is going to be damaged. And it's the fire doing the damage. It's unlike the characteristics of a pit where the pit doesn't go and do damage. Rather, the person who is damaged comes towards the bar, comes towards the pit. So I thought I wouldn't be liable for that, so the Torah had to write that as well. Okay, so we understand why the Torah had to write all those scenarios, but how do I know that other things which I cause damage for, I am responsible to pay if it does damage? Says the Mishnah, the common denominator between all of these things, the thing which exists by all of them is Shadakon Lahazik. It is likely, it is common for the thing to do damage. And you are responsible to guard that thing from doing damage. And because of that, when it does do damage, since you are the one who is responsible for stopping it doing damage, if it ends up doing damage, the person who is responsible, who is the one who had to guard it, is liable the shaling tashlomi nezek to pay the compensation for the damage. But meitav ha'oretz. Here, the Mishnah adds another law. The Torah says that if somebody pays for damages without money, if he doesn't pay money, rather he pays with land. Now, there are lots of different levels of quality of land. The Torah says that when one pays with land, he has to pay with the best quality land. And we're going to understand the reason is because since really you're supposed to give him money, the only reason why you can give him land is because he can then sell the land and get money with it. And so the Torah says that you have to give him the best quality land, which would be the easiest for him to sell and obtain the value of money which you owe him by selling that field. Mishnah base. So in the next couple of Mishnahs, the Mishnah mentions lots of different cases with short phrases, which include a lot, and later on in the Masechta, we'll go into more details of these cases. First, he says the Mishnah calls Bishmiyosai, anything which I have become liable to guard, it is considered that I cause the damage if it goes ahead and does damage. Now, really, this is what we said in the previous Mishnah. So what is this Mishnah coming to include? The Gemara explains it's coming to include a case where somebody gives a his his ox, his animal, he gives it to a child or somebody who is deaf and dumb, somebody who is a fool, and he can't take proper responsibility over things. If somebody gave his animal to such a person or he dug a pit and he appointed such a person to be responsible for guarding that pit, that is not considered to be a valid and sufficient guarding of the item. And therefore, if damage is caused, he would still be liable because he is considered to be the one who caused the damage. Next case, if I'm the cause for part of the damage, 
I become liable to pay as if I caused the entire damage. Now, this is not referring to any case. It's, resolving, it's talking about a specific case. It's talking about a very specific case where somebody, let's say, Ruven dug a pit up to nine to Fochim, which is quite a shallow pit, and it is not enough to kill somebody. And then Shimon came and dug one more tefach. And he turned the pit from being a pit of nine tefachim into a pit of ten tefachim. And ten tefachim is considered to be enough in a general case in order to kill somebody if they fall in, or an animal. So if somebody or an animal falls into the pit and is killed, then Shimon only is the one who is liable to pay for the damage or for the death. Because he is the one who turned this pit into a pit which is able to kill, even though Ruvain was the one who dug most of the pit. Now, a person is liable to pay only if the thing which did the damage is possessions which have not got me'ila attached to them. If somebody benefits from an item which belongs to the Beit HaMikdash, that is known as me'ila, it's prohibited. And the Mishnah is coming to say that if somebody's animal he designated to the Beit HaMikdash, so it's now considered to be under the ownership of Hekdash, the Beit HaMikdash, if that animal then does damage, then there is no obligation neither on the treasury of the Beit HaMikdash nor on the original owners, there is no obligation to pay for the damage caused. Only possessions which belong to Jewish people, meaning the Mishnah is saying that if somebody causes damage to the property of a non-Jew, then he is not liable to pay for the damages. That's learned from Psukim, and that is a Mishnah later on as well, which goes into more detail. The property has to have, the possession has to have an owner at the time that it does damage. So if a ox does damage when it has no owner, it's an ownerless ox, and then somebody takes the ox and makes it his. Since at the time of the damage, there was no owner, so the person who later on owns it would not be liable to pay for the damages. And one is liable to pay wherever the damage took place, except for when the damage took place in property which is owned specifically by the owner of the animal which did the damage. For example, if Ruin owns an ox, and Shimon's ox comes into Ruin's property, and Reuven's ox damages Shimon whilst he's in Reuven's property. In that case, Reuven is not liable to pay for the damages because he's not obligated to guard his animal from doing damages in, in his own property. It's up to Shimon to make sure that his ox doesn't enter somebody else's property. And so Reuven would not be liable for such a damage. And also property which belongs to both the... In the previous example, to both Reuven and Shimon, if they were partners in owning a garden, for example. So again, Reuven would not be liable to pay because he is not obligated to guard his animal in his own property. And the Torah specifically says that only if one's animal goes out to a different person's field and does damage, only then is one liable. So since the entire courtyard is his, he would not be liable to pay for those damages. And the Mishnah says a sentence which is said earlier on already, in all of these cases, when he does damage, the person who is responsible for that damage is obligated to pay for the damage. The Meitav Oretz, if he's paying with land, he has to pay with the best quality land so that it's easiest to sell. And as we mentioned earlier, the reason why this, the Mishnah repeats this sentence is in order to include a case which we have not yet discussed, and that is Keren, when an animal gores or does any other similar action where the entire act is in order to do damage. Again, the style of this perek is unusual, so it's lots and lots of inf- information in a short amount of words, but throughout the next six prokim, the Mishnahites will go into more detail for all of these cases. Mishnah Gimel, Shum Kesef, which literally means an evaluation of money. 
that's just a short phrase which the Mishnah gives. But it's again referring to a much larger scenario with more details. What is it referring to? We are going to explain, according to how many Rishonim explain, it's a debate as to what exactly the case is. We're going to understand that if somebody, if Ruvain's item damages Shimon's item, and then Shimon's item also damages later on Ruvain's item. We don't say that since both of them damaged each other, we're going to look at the items, not the value, but the item, and say that they cancel each other out, so neither one is obligated to pay the other one. Rather, we say no, we look at the damage based on the value which the item went down. So if Ruvain caused Shimon's item to go down in value by 50 shekel, and Shimon caused Ruvain's item to go down by only 30 shekel, so Ruvain will still be liable to pay Shimon the difference, the 20 shekel. Next case, the Shavakesef, which literally means something which is worth money. And again, this refers to a more complicated case, which the mission is referring to with just a couple of words. And that is, if the person responsible for the damage dies, and he is inherited by his children, and the Nizuk, the Nizuk refers to the person who was damaged, the Mazik, Mazik refers to the person who is responsible for the damage, Nizuk refers to the one who the damage was done to. So the Nizuk comes to the Mazik's inheritors, and the Nizuk wants to get compensation. He can only get compensation from something which is worth money, and the Gemara explains that refers to specifically land, because only land which is inherited, only that is bound to the debts of the person who died. But any movable items or money itself, that is not bound to the debt which the, of the person who died, and so the Nizuk can only collect his damage, the compensation for his damage, from land. Alright, but if in a basin, the evaluation of the damage caused needs to be done in a basin of expert judges, Dionim, Valpiedim. It has to be by the testimony of witnesses. The Mazik is only liable to pay if there are witnesses who saw and testify about the damage. And those witnesses need to be totally valid witnesses, just like regarding everything else. It's real testimony. Bnei Chayrin. They have to be free. They can't be slaves. Bnei Baris. They have to be Jewish. And now it's the mission of Hanoshim Bechal Hanezek. Women are included in all of the laws of damage. There's no difference between a man and a woman. If they actually own something, then they will be liable for the damages caused. Or if they later fire, dug a pit, etc. And the mission ends off, there is a case where the Hanizak the Hamazik with Tashlumin. That both the Nizak and the Mazik pay. Now that doesn't really make sense. Of course it's always the Mazik paying the Nizak. The Mazik caused the damage, the Nizak is the one who the damage was caused to. So what does it mean that the Nizak is part of the payment? The answer is you're referring to a specific case where Ruvain gored Shimon's animal, and let's say Shimon's animal went down to from 100 shekel to 50 shekel. The dead animal is not worth nothing, but it's worth much less. So it's now worth, let's say, 50 shekel. And until they manage to get their act together and go to Bastin, and for Bastin to obligate Ruvain to pay Shimon, the dead animal, because it's been lying around, so it is now worth only... 30 shekel. It's gone down from 50 to 30 now. The law is that the Mazik, Ruvain, is not liable to pay for that extra 20. He pays based on the damage which he did at the time of the damage. And so in some way we look at that as if it's sort of the Nizak who's also paying the Mazik, as it were. Because he's not receiving all of his payment for the damage which the Mazik caused him. Mr. Dalad, when it comes to the subcategory of Keren, 
We mentioned that the first three times that it does it, it is a tam, and the owner is only obligated to pay for half of the value of the damage. And the mission says, Chamisha tamin, there are five examples of acts of damage where the first time it does it, it's considered a tam. And there are five examples where this act is considered to be an, done by an animal which is a muad already from the beginning, meaning the animal is prone to do this, so it wouldn't come under the category of keren, because keren, the first three times, you pay only half the nezek, and it's a tam. It would come under one of the other categories where they are all considered to be moored from the beginning, such that you need to pay full damage even the first time it does it. An animal is not considered to be a moored from the beginning for the following things, meaning the following things are examples of keren. Not to go, not to push with its body, not to bite, not to lie down on something and damage it that way, and not to kick. All of those are examples of Keren, where the first three times I would only pay Chetzi Nezek. Now the Mishnah gives examples of five things which are moored from the beginning. Hashain, Shain, when the animal eats. Mu'edes lechles The animal is considered a moored if it eats something which is fit for it to eat. For example, produce. Haregel, Mu'edes lechabda In the category of regel, the animal is considered to be a moored to break things as it is walking. Thirdly, Vishar Hamuad, an ox which became a muad from Keren. It's now considered to be a Keren Muedes. After it ghouls three times, if it ghouls again, then it would be considered a muad. It's prone to do it. It's likely it's going to happen. And the owner would need to pay full damages. The Shor Hamazik Bershus Hanizak, if there is Keren which occurs inside the property of the Nizak. In such a case, at least according to the opinion of our Mishnah, this is not agreed upon, but according to our Mishnah, Keren which occurs inside the property of the Nizak, even if it's a tam, the owner is obligated to pay for full damages. All right, the ha'odom and damage done by a person, he's certainly considered totally responsible for what he does. Now, as the Mishnah has a a wolf, the hari, and lion, the hadoi, the bear, the hanomer, a leopard, the habardlos, some sort of cheetah. And a snake, whatever they do to do damage, they're considered to be moored from the beginning. If they were to bite, for example, when an ox bites, that's considered to be unusual, so it's a tam. But if a snake bites, it's considered usual, and therefore it'll be a moored. Rebeliezer says, If they are domesticated and trained to be calm, then even these animals, which are generally assumed to be wild, would not be moored. However, a snake is always a muad because it's impossible to really train the snake to not do damage. Ask the Mishnah, Mabin Tam and Muad, what is the difference between a Tam and a Muad? Elasha Tam When a Tam does damage, the owner is obligated to pay only half of the value of the damage, and he does so Migufoi from the actual body of the ox, meaning the ox which did the damage, the animal which did the damage, the mazik uses that to pay the damage. So if it happens to be worth exactly half of the damage, we'll just give him the animal. If it is worth less than half of the damage, less than what he owes him, then that's all he needs to give him. So he would end up giving less than half in that case. And if the animal is worth more than what he owes him, more than the chetzinezek, then they would sell the animal and the value which they get for it, he would use to pay his chetzinezek. Whereas the Hamuad, a Muad, he pays for the full damages from the best property. Again, that refers to the Halacha of Meitav, which we mentioned a couple of times already, which is if you pay with land, then you have to pay using the best quality of land, which is easiest to sell and translate into money.